Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 New International Version Don't store up treasures on earth. Moths and rust can destroy them, and thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy them, and thieves cannot break in and steal them. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 Contemporary English Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm here today with R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. As we have announced before, we delayed a series of episodes we had planned to discuss biblical prophecy in order to meditate on what the Bible has to say about dealing with trials and tribulations like the COVID-19 virus that is currently plaguing our nation and world. And I think we learned a lot in that series, that even though the Bible is over 2,000 years old, it speaks just as compellingly to people today as it did to its first audience. And you say, R.D., that is in and of itself evidence of the Bible's supernatural origin and inspiration. Could you amplify a bit on this observation? I'd be happy to. We open every episode of Anchored by Truth with the observation that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Well, one of the ways that we believe that people can be ensured that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, and infallible is because it possesses two critical attributes that would have to mark any book that fits that description of being inspired, inerrant, and infallible. First, the Bible is consistent with what we know about the created order the unfolding of history, and the behavior of man, the behavior of human beings. And second, the Bible contains substantial evidence of having a supernatural origin. Now, to support the contention that the Bible possesses those two critical attributes, we regularly refer to four lines of evidence that we believe demonstrates that the Bible has those attributes. Right. And those four lines of evidence are that the Bible is historically reliable, has produced positive changes in untold number of lives, possesses a remarkable unity for a book with over three dozen human authors, and contains an abundance of fulfilled prophecy. And over the more than a year that we've been doing Anchored by Truth, we've steadily explored various topics associated with those four lines of evidence. Yes, and that's one of the big reasons that we really want to get to our series on biblical prophecy and demonstrate some of the remarkable examples of prophecies that we know from history came true just as it had been prophesied originally. 
Again, I mean, we talk about this from time to time. From a human vantage point, we often don't know what the weather will be like tomorrow, much less be able to tell who's going to win the next election or major sports championship. So a human being can't normally give a prophecy that's a couple of days in the future, much less weeks or months in the future, and have any confidence that that prophecy will be accurate. So when a human being does give a specific prophecy about a future event that's dozens or even hundreds of years in the future, and then that event comes to pass, we can be sure that the human author, the human being who gave that prophecy, had a supernatural source of inspiration. You don't have to look much farther than what the COVID-19 virus is doing to our own country and to the world to see that human beings on their own can't predict the future with any degree of accuracy. I mean, a year ago, or even six or three months ago, who among us would have predicted the events that are now occurring daily, not only in our lives, not only in this community, but across the country and around the world? Well, though some people might make that claim, very few would believe them. Precisely. I mean, there have been a lot of people throughout history that have claimed to possess the gift of prophecy. Such as? Well, I try to make it a practice to not inadvertently publicize anyone who might lead someone astray. So I don't like to go through the typical laundry list of false prophets that have surfaced throughout history. But just by way of illustration, a particularly well-known one is Nostradamus. That's a name that's often mentioned on popular shows on various TV channels about supposedly a prophet from the Middle Ages. But unlike the prophecies that you see in the Bible, which were remarkably clear and specific, Nostradamus wrote in these sort of poetic quatrains that are subject to all kinds of interpretations. Nostradamus's prophecies were at best ambiguous and subject to someone being able to impose the supposed fulfillment of the prophecy, the interpretation of the prophecy, on the events, because the quatrains were far from being specific or detailed. And that's quite different from, say, for instance, the prophecy that's contained in Isaiah 44, in which Isaiah named a coming king, a coming emperor, Cyrus, who would deliver the Jewish people from exile. And Isaiah gave that prophecy about 150 years before it was fulfilled. Well, when you can give the name of the person who's going to do a specific action 150 years earlier than it happens, that's prophetic detail. Well, anyway... The Bible's large volume of fulfilled prophecy makes it stand out from every other book in the world, and it's substantial evidence that the Bible has a supernatural inspiration. And we're going to get more into that starting in our next episode. Nice tease. But before we go too much further, how about if we appeal to our Almighty Father for His grace in helping our nation recover from this dreadful plague? I hope the listeners will join us in praying for restoration to our communities and nation. A prayer for restoration of the nation from the COVID-19 virus. Almighty, gracious, and heavenly Father, we glorify your holy name, for you are sovereign and merciful. Lord, we come to you on behalf of our nation and the many who have suffered and are suffering from the COVID-19 virus. We pray you would stretch out your hand now, as when you first framed the heavens and earth and become a wellspring of healing and restoration. You are aware of the afflictions of your people. You have a heart of compassion for them. We pray, Lord, 
you would bring an end to the spread of this virus within our nation. We pray that you would give wisdom to our national and local leaders of all parties so that they would make wise choices about how to bring about complete restoration within the nation. We pray you would continue to be with doctors, nurses, and medical personnel, first responders, and those who provide retail services to bring us essential material supplies. We pray that Jesus would accompany each of them and give them the strength they need to work in difficult conditions. We know that you are able to provide recovery and victory even when our human vantage point sees no hope. You are the hope for the hopeless and a sure refuge in time of trouble. We pray that you would help us to see where we may be of service and give us hearts to bring comfort and your word to the places they are missing. We pray that you guide and direct all who are making difficult decisions during this time, including government leaders, business owners, service workers, and farmers. We thank them for their work, but we trust only in your provision. Jesus brought healing to the multitudes and then died for our sins. Therefore, we come to you in his holy and matchless name. Amen. I think that's a prayer that many people are praying in their own way. And here at Anchored by Truth, we do believe that the prayers of God's people are important to Him. As we often remind people, James 5.16 says that prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. In this context, the righteous person doesn't mean a perfect person, just someone who has accepted Jesus as their Savior and is endeavoring to live according to Jesus' teaching. Anyway, let's get back to today's topic. You said that you just wanted to make a few final points as we close out this Victory Over the Virus series. Yes. As we close out this series, I want to think a little bit more about the fact that nothing that we have seen during the response to the pandemic has been inconsistent with the observations that are made in the Bible. Quite the opposite. Tragically, we have seen confirmation of what used to be some time-honored bits of wisdom in the Bible, and we have seen confirmation of many of the warnings that the Bible contains. Now, thankfully, we have also seen many examples of people living out their Christian faith, the values that they obtain from the Bible, that have been of great benefit to help other people during this crisis. We mentioned just one brief example in our last episode of an organization that's been motivated by their Christian faith to bring help and comfort in truly dramatic ways. So, the fact that we can see the Bible's wisdom and warnings present in what we have seen all about us leads us to one final lesson that I think we should all learn, not only to have victory over the virus, but also to bring greater victory and hope to the rest of our lives. Okay, that sounds like we have a lot to talk about. So where do you want to begin in terms of seeing the present-day actions and events point to truths contained in the Bible? Well, let's start with one of the sadder observations that confirms an age-old biblical truth. And this is a truth that used to be taken for granted, but that you rarely hear discussed today. And that is? That the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. That's an oldie but a goodie. 1 Timothy 6.10 in the New International Version reads, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In the Contemporary English Version, it reads, The love of money causes all kinds of trouble. Right. Well, I think it's pretty easy to see that there's trouble and evil that have been all around us during this very difficult time. 
And I really don't like to make political comments on Anchored by Truth. I think that we have more than enough to deal with the spiritual realities that confront us in our daily lives. But I do think that there are a couple of facts that are now commonly known about how the love of money played a big part in the spread of the virus. It's becoming increasingly clear that the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese government, cut off domestic travel from Wuhan, where the virus originated in China, to the rest of China, while they continued to allow international travel to depart from Wuhan. So it's pretty hard to draw any conclusion from that distinction, that rather dramatic distinction made by the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government, other than that their intention was to limit the spread of the virus in their own country, but they were indifferent to whether it infected and affected the rest of the world. I think the kindest conclusion you can draw from that is that the Chinese government was more concerned about preserving their commercial interests abroad than they were about protecting the health of their trading partners. Yikes. That is a sobering thought, but it may well be warranted. Potentially, one of the reasons northern Italy got hit so hard is that there are a number of garment manufacturing facilities there that employ a large number of Chinese workers. So, a great many Chinese workers who may have gone to China for a festival and to see family return to their jobs, potentially bringing the virus with them. And that same thing was true in other places around the world, where China has major economic interests, such as Iran and Russia. By some reports, more than 5 million Chinese left the Wuhan province before the Chinese government locked it down completely. Exactly. Now, to be fair, it's likely that the vast majority of the workers who left Wuhan did not know that they were carrying a virus or even that they had been exposed to the virus. Sadly, though, this did not prevent them from inadvertently spreading the virus. And you don't have to assign a specific motivation to any particular person to see the general truth of the biblical observation. Sometimes 1 Timothy 6.10 is misstated to say, money is the root of all evil. But that's not what the verse says. Money is an inanimate object. It's a tool, and a tool can be used for good or evil. The observation in 1 Timothy is that the love of money is what can produce all sorts of evil or trouble. And we should note that the admonition that Paul made to Timothy doesn't mean that there has to be a specific intent to cause trouble for others for this to be true. There doesn't have to be someone saying, well, if I do thus or so, I'll get an extra $500. That's not what that verse requires. Paul is just reinforcing the observation that Jesus made in Matthew 6.21 and in other places that where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. And again, Jesus was not talking necessarily about treasure just in the sense of gold or pearls, but he was talking about treasure in the sense of whatever you value most in your life. So in verse 10, in 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul is building on the thought that he started out a little bit earlier in verses 8 and 9, that foolish and harmful desires, such as greed, can plunge people into harm and ruin. And I think we can see all around us that the love of money, greed, has been, well, the cause of a whole lot of trouble. And one of the reasons that the Bible frequently warns about this love of money, greed, is because that seems to be a particularly prevalent desire in humans. All right, that seems to be a fairly clear example. But what other biblical observations do you think have been illustrated by what's been going on as we respond to the virus in our nation and communities? Well, sometimes the virus tells you things not to do, like avoid the love of money, but sometimes the Bible tells us that there are things that we should do, 
like be diligent in our work and saving money so that we are better prepared to handle difficult times like this. You know, sometimes the Bible uses surprising examples to encourage us to do things like being diligent. For instance, like in Proverbs 6, 6, when Solomon makes a recommendation to, and I'm quoting, go to the ant, you sluggard. Sluggard? That's not a word you hear every day. Well, perhaps you'd prefer indolent, lethargic, or slothful. Not really, but I get the point. In Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 8, Solomon tells people to consider the example of the ant who, even though it's just an insect, is smart enough to gather food while food is plentiful and store during the summer so it can be prepared for the winter. And then in Proverbs 10, 4, and 5, Solomon says that lazy hands bring poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. And he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. So what Solomon is saying is that even the humble ant exhibits the kind of behavior that helps them prepare for the lean time. In that way, that humble ant is more noble than a disgraced son who sleeps through the harvest when he should be storing food. Exactly. Some commentators have noted that the Bible has more to say about how we handle money than it says about heaven. And the Bible, when it talks about us handling money, admonishes us to be a good steward, in part so that we can take care of ourselves when trouble hits, but also in large measure so that we can provide for others when they get in trouble. Now, I want to point out that when we're making these kinds of observations, we are not trying to direct criticism at anyone. All we're saying is that in times like this, we see in a very graphic way that while the Bible is first and foremost a book about the story of creation, fall, and redemption, so at its heart the Bible has a very spiritual purpose, the Bible is also, nevertheless, a very practical book. The Bible contains a ton of observations and admonitions that we can use every day. So if we will search out and apply the wisdom that the Bible contains, it will not only help us get ready to go into heaven, it will also help us live more blessed lives on this earth. Furthermore, the Bible also brings blessings to our larger communities because the Bible contains specific instructions to believers to care for the poor and for those who are suffering. Sometimes people criticize the Old Testament because they misunderstand the purposes of the Levitical civil and ceremonial codes. But even in the Old Testament, farmers are told not to gather all the crops on their land, but to leave some in the corners so the less fortunate can come in behind the harvesters and get food for their families. Proverbs 19.17 says that caring for the poor is like lending to the Lord, and the Lord promises to repay. Yes. And there are explicit commands in the New Testament for the church to provide for specific peoples, like widows in need. That's in 1 Timothy 5.3. And generally for individuals in need. For instance, you can go look at Ephesians 4.28. And happily, even during these difficult times, you have seen churches and individual believers stepping up and putting these admonitions into action. I mean, it's well known that Samaritan's Purse set up hospitals right in the middle of virus hot zones that were staffed by volunteers to bring relief. And churches and parachurch ministries across the country are operating food banks, giving away essential supplies, and delivering to people in need. I mean, some of the big ones who are doing that are well known, like Salvation Army, but there's been a ton of others, smaller ones, that have been doing good works animated by their Christian faith that never received much publicity. 
So the point is that there are a lot of instructions in the Bible that not only can be of benefit to individual believers, but also to society in general. Again, the main point is that the Bible is just as accurate and relevant today as it was when it was first written, and its relevance is demonstrated in both positive and negative ways. The love of money, greed, undoubtedly played a big part in the actions that resulted in the worldwide spread of a deadly disease. But in the midst of the spread, the Bible's concern for the less fortunate animates many people to bring relief just as Christ brought relief to the people who came to Him. Are there any other points that you'd like to make? Yes. There are two that I think we can cover in the time that we have left, and these are sort of general lessons that the Bible has for us, and they are so important that I think these are lessons that we should bear in mind, whether the times are good or bad. Okay. That sounds a little ominous in a way. Well, one of the lessons, again, that has both positive and negative implications is maybe a little bit ominous. We heard in our opening scripture that God has built an inexorable law into the economy of creation, and that law is often referred to as the law of sowing and reaping. And God is so serious about this law that he says to try to ignore that law would be like mocking God, and obviously that's something no one ever wants to do. What a lot of people don't realize is that you don't reap exactly what you sow. You don't? That's a surprise. No, you don't. Fortunately or unfortunately, you will reap what you sow, but later than you think, in greater quantities than you plant, and in ways that you don't expect. And this will happen either positively or negatively. The people who give generously to others, who sow kindness and generosity, will reap both back although the ones who give back to them will almost always be an entirely different group than the ones to whom they originally gave whatever they did. I mean, I've seen numerous instances of this either in my own life or in the lives of other people, that when people have given generously or even sacrificially, later on they were the beneficiaries of a completely unexpected blessing, and often that blessing is far greater than the material or monetary amount that they originally gave away. And the same thing is unfortunately true negatively. People who sow greed or division and think they've gotten away with it, eventually they realize that they did not. Now, I don't want to go too much farther into that because I don't think we need to dwell on that in these particularly difficult times. And I'm certainly not saying that justice is perfect on this side of heaven. It's not. But the thing that ought to make all of us think very carefully is that one day God will balance all the scales perfectly. Yikes! That is a slightly scary thought. So what's the other point you wanted us to think about? Well, for anyone who is finding themselves still struggling and wondering if they're going to be able to deal with the lingering effects of this pandemic, there is a verse that I often turn to in times of trouble, and which I think is one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible. It's Isaiah 40, 31. Now, I actually like in this particular verse the American King James Version of it. And it reads like this. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Well, wait in this context has kind of two dimensions. It's sort of almost a double entendre in that version. The primary meaning of wait is to trust or turn to the Lord. So it's saying that those who trust or turn to the Lord will renew their strength. But I think it's also important to note that, more often than not, there is also a time dimension as we wait or trust in the Lord. 
Often there is a lag between the time that we're trusting, turning to, waiting on the Lord, and us getting the relief that we seek or the help that we're hoping for. More often than not, at least I've found this true in my own life, the Lord's timetable doesn't match mine. But the point of the verse is that if we keep waiting on Him and trusting in Him, He will renew our strength. And I love the poetic flourish that's contained in that verse. We'll get so much strength from waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord that we'll mount up with wings as eagles. We'll run and not be weary. We'll walk and not faint. The key is obviously we have to wait on the Lord. And obviously, while we're waiting, we shouldn't be indolent or lethargic, to quote someone I heard recently. We should be praying and reading the Bible and like the ant, being about the business of preparing as best we can. If we will wait and trust in God, He will sustain us even though the lean times and winters which many are experiencing right now. God is a father to His children. We're in His great hands, and no power on heaven or earth, neither demons, principalities, or powers can pull us out of them. Sounds like a great time for a prayer because so many of our friends and neighbors have lost jobs or pay because of the virus, last week we prayed for those who are finding that money is tight. We're going to repeat that prayer today as part of our desire to pray continuously while we wait on the Lord. A Prayer When Money is Tight Merciful God and Ruler of Creation, We thank you that we can come into your presence at all times, but especially when we are in need. You are our refuge in times of trouble, and in those times it is the covering of your compassion and favor that we seek. Lord, you know that these are difficult times for us. As we look about us, we see tribulation on many sides, and financial pressures are particularly hard right now. If it were not for you, we would be quickly overwhelmed. We cling to you as the sure anchor in the storm, the one who cannot be moved and who will not allow your people to sink beneath chaos's waves. Lord, we believe in you, but help our unbelief. We need your instruction and direction, and we pray for it now. Help us to see ways that we can reduce our spending and live modestly. Grant us favor in the sight of those with whom we do business. Bring us to places where genuine bargains can be found and bring us into contact with honest businesses where good value can be obtained at reasonable prices. Also, help us to be industrious at our work. Grant us work that is pleasing to you and that will enable us to provide for our family. Help us to take advantage of the opportunities that you bring before us. And if it be in your will, Help us to increase our income by being more productive. Give us wisdom, though, so that we do not place a greater value on work and income than on our relationships with you and our family. Give us the strength to meet each challenge and direct each of our decisions. Help us to find the counselors and comforters that we need, counselors who can assist us in seeing things in our lives that we must change and comforters to walk with us through the trials. We are so very grateful when we are surrounded by your people whose love and support is a reflection of Christ, and we pray that you would bring us to such people when they are lacking. We also pray that you would provide special blessings that we don't know how to pray for and could never expect. 
You are a big God, much bigger than we can comprehend. Please do for us that which we could never imagine, conceive, or even hope for. We remember that when Christ walked among us, he fed the multitudes by multiplying the little that was placed in his holy hands. Lord, we place our financial situation and indeed our lives in his hands today. In his name we pray and give you glory, honor, and praise. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics. So if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.